there are things that bring changes to life, and those changes bring consequences. And sometimes those consequences are far-reaching and indeed last for the rest of our lives. I'm not sure that the change of year has brought uh, too many far-reaching consequences, but if you move home, that is a consequence. If you change your job, that brings consequences and changes to life uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise. A change in your family situation, its consequence, whether that's birth or sickness or death, all of those factors bring their own consequences which we have to deal with. Many things that we deal with bring consequences, not just immediately, but in the days, weeks, and sometimes longer times following that. Everything has a consequence. Conversion out from the world to following Jesus Christ has tremendous consequences. When a person commits their way to Christ as Lord, things must change if they are going to be faithful to their Lord and their Savior. For some, conversion does not bring radical consequences because they have been brought up in the atmosphere of Christ in the home where Jesus is worshipped. They have been taken along perhaps to Sabbath school and church from their earliest days. They know what it is to go to meet in the house of God for worship. The consequences when they come to their personal faith may not be so dramatic, but there are still consequences. For others, conversion experienced from the world, coming out from having a life of complete opposition to God when uh, sin was very much to the fore, when that person has changed, what huge consequences conversion brings for them. And such was a man like Saul. And what we want to do this evening is look at the consequences following his conversion. Last time in Acts we looked at the first verses, uh, verses 1 to 18, where Saul was converted. We saw how it from his side and we saw it coming from the Lord's hand being upon him. God brought Saul to the place where he came under conviction, where he met with Jesus Christ, where he was radically converted. And his whole life changed at that point. The consequences for for Saul were to continue and into all eternity. And what we learn of the consequences of his conversion can be applied, I hope we will see, to ours as well, though perhaps in many different ways. First of all, as we think about Saul, I want to say one of the, con- the first consequences I draw attention to is delight in fellowship. Delighting in fellowship. Saul has had absolutely remarkable experience of Jesus Christ. As the Lord spoke to him on the Damascus road, this enemy of God has been changed. 
and rather now than want to put to death those who love Jesus, those who will talk to him about the Lord Jesus, those who are ready to speak to him in Christ's name, rather than want to flee from them and hide from them and put them to death, Saul now delights in their fellowship. And I'm taking that from this chapter we see there in those verses, verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He enjoyed being with them. When he goes down to Jerusalem, who does he want to meet with? He doesn't want to meet first and foremost with his Jews. He wants to meet with the believers. Although I will come to the difficulty that's created there in a moment. But he delights, you see, to spend time among the people of God. Before his conversion, Saul did not want anything to do with people who talked about a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It was, in fact, his intention to destroy them. It would have been anathema to him to attend their meetings and to be at one with them. The consequence of his conversion, however, brings a complete difference. He delights in the, uh, to be in that fellowship. Why? Because he knows these people have met like he has the risen Christ. He knows that their first love is for Jesus, whom he now knows is indeed the Messiah of God. And as Saul spends time in the company of the people of God, he is drinking in and learning of all their experiences of Jesus. I cannot but imagine that their conversation was all about the times that they followed Jesus while he was on earth, the things he said, the miracles he did. And that would have been rehearsed again and again. He would have questioned, and as he did so, he brought his own learning from the Old Testament to bear, and his understanding grew. Of course, we see a similar kind of thing in other spheres of life. When someone changes in a way, the consequence is that they want to be there. I'm not sure if the illustration's any good, really, but if you're at school, it's a long time for many of us, but imagine you've been at school and you haven't really been too keen on science or geography. Uh, and really, well, you could have missed that class easily enough. You didn't go with any enthusiasm. But then something just clicked and you took an interest in, in the science or geography. Or maybe it was history in your case. And suddenly you began to enjoy the teaching. And the teacher gave you a new enthusiasm. So rather than, than think away from it, You wanted to be there. It was your delight to read and learn and question and find out more. That's just a little illustration, but that can happen in many areas of life. People go and join a club or society. Why? Because they have an interest and they delight to talk about their favorite subject, whether it be tractors or plows or, or birds or whatever it might be. That's where they go. And in this way, Saul delighted in the fellowship of the people of God. An antagonistic opposer of truth delights in Jesus. Now, 
you have confessed conversion. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and you're a follower of His, let me ask you, do you delight in the fellowship of God's people? That ought to be the consequence of coming to Christ. Because we love to be among people of like mind who will talk to us about Jesus and about what the Word of God has to say, about the impact that that Word has had in their lives. And I know I should have said that this morning in our morning service, but why are people not coming to our evening worship? Do they not delight to worship God, to be in God's Word? If it has changed them, surely it should be a joy to meet and learn more and grow in grace. And it is a consequence of change for all who come to faith. Some of us were brought up in the church. We went to church obediently. It was our duty. We wanted to please our parents. We didn't care much for it. It was our long, boring hour, perhaps. But in God's providence over time, He brought us to see truth. And we began to believe and to follow Jesus. And what was a mundane duty suddenly became a delight. We looked forward. And in fact, when parents were sick or not able to go, when at other times they might have escaped, now it is our joy to be in the place to worship God. That's the consequence of conversion. Or what about that person who wouldn't have darkened the church door, the last place they wanted to be seen, and they've met with Jesus, and now they're at every meeting drinking in the Word. Why? Because it's a consequence of conversion that they delight in Jesus and in fellowship with the body of Jesus in the church. Do you know that consequence of your conversion? Delighting in fellowship. Secondly, in Saul, we see declaring Jesus. We see him declaring Jesus. Now just remember who we're talking about. This is the man who was a Pharisee who had had letters from the uh, council to go down to Damascus to destroy anyone who spoke in the name of Jesus. He was intent in putting them to death. And what do we read here as a consequence of conversion? At once he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that absolutely staggering that this complete outright enemy now declares Jesus as Lord? So brings the people's attention to the reality. This Jesus is the Son of God. And just imagine the kind of audience that might have listened to him. Those people were a bit fearful. This man came to destroy, but they say he's talking about Jesus. And they would have been struck by the fact that he now claimed that the one he persecuted is indeed the risen, eternal Messiah. God had brought him to new life and to declaring Jesus, to ministering Jesus 
the crucified one whom he wouldn't accept had been risen is the risen Lord. And Saul declares him. It indicates that he was also able to marshal his arguments because later in verse 22 he baffles them with the way in which he is able to to declare that indeed Jesus is the Christ. Saul is an intellectual. He has been able to to bring together his teaching that he knew as a Pharisee and see a Jesus from it. And so people are baffled, amazed that he declares Christ. Good news is there for sharing. This time of year, of course, we've all been told about the diets and how we need to get on to the new latest fad and lose weight after all the overeating and all of that. And if you have something that works for you, you might tell somebody else, it's good news. This works well. What works for me may not work for you. Our metabolism is different and so on. But if it's good news, we like to talk about it. Do you declare Jesus? Do you speak of your Savior to others? Is that a consequence of your conversion? That day after day you want to tell others of the Savior Jesus Christ? That you are a sinner who once disobeyed God have been forgiven by Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior. Family members or spouse or children or grandparents or grandchildren do they hear you declaring Jesus? And if not, why not? Surely, if we are converted, this should be the number one thing that we want to talk to each other about. If we are one of Jesus' followers, it ought to be the most natural thing in the world for us to speak about our best friend, how our children can teach us. Sometimes children have this imaginary friend and they talk away about their imaginary friend and it Of course, to some adults it seems strange, but we have a real friend. Do you talk to others? Do you declare him? Whether you're converted out of the world of sin, uh, without any church background, you can talk about Jesus. What has he done for you? Simply tell of the Jesus who has forgiven your sin, who died on the cross to rise for you. If you've been brought up under the privilege of church membership and learnt your catechism, you know a great deal that you can tell about Jesus because you have it all in your head. And having been converted, you know the truth of the shorter catechism in a way that is new and effectual. If Jesus Christ saved you from the worst possible consequence of your sin, from the second death, surely you should tell others that they might avoid that death. That they might have a hope of eternal life. Saul declared Jesus, even though he went down to Damascus, rejecting Jesus. The consequence of his conversion, another consequence of conversion, was a deepening of conviction. And I can uh, think about Saul as he thought about all he's saying, and even as he preached the word, verse 22, 
was he not getting a deeper conviction. He grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Why did he grow in that way? Because as Saul enunciated the truth, as he brought it to words and told others, he fed his own soul and he knew this is so true. And it deepened his own convictions uh, because day after day he was talking about the Saviour. And if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the consequence of that is that day after day, after conversion, the reading and meditating on God's Word ought to deepen our conviction. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus Christ is King of glory. And our convictions about him should be deepening. I know that there are those who struggle with faith. They, they They have that tendency to not trust even their own faith. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us deepening conviction. But as we read God's Word, as we take on board His promises, as you have come to Him and even talk to Him about others by the Spirit of God, surely we should realize deepening conviction. This, in fact, is true. And we all may have moments when we question. There may be days when you, maybe aren't, things aren't going well and you say, where's the Lord? But when you know, when you talk about Him, when you come back to the Word of God with all your anxieties, you hear Him say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's true. It is true. You go away more deeply convicted of all, again that Jesus Christ is the only, only Savior. If you are converted, then most times, as you read and follow and serve the Lord, you will deepen and deepen in your love and in your conviction that He is the very Son of God, the God-man who is your Savior. Do you find that? Are you feeding your soul that that conviction might be deepened and brought to bear? Then fourthly, another consequence of conversion is danger from old friends. This happened to Saul. After many days gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. These were his friends. These were his Pals, these are the very people who accompanied him down to Damascus. These were the ones in whose company he had mixed so readily and freely before. And now they want to kill him. Or look at verse 29. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Here were people who would in the past have delighted. Imagine the Grecian Jews uh, imagine them in our sort of situation. We're going to have a public meeting. And who's our speaker? It is the great Pharisee, Saul, the one who's so learned in the law. They, it would have been a coup to them to have had Saul 
come and speak at their meeting. The one who is so against this newfangled nonsense about a risen Savior. They would have been his friends. What has changed? Saul has been converted and is proclaiming Christ and they are now his enemies. And he's in danger from them because if only they could get rid of him, it would be great because people are listening to him. People who before were were maybe unsure are now learning from Saul that Jesus is Christ. If they could only get rid of him, what a blow that would be to Christ's church. They might have been more intent in seeking to silence the voice of Saul simply because he was one of their own number and was doing damage even in the very midst of the Jewish number of people. Saul was in danger from his friends. I don't think you and I are in danger from those who are outside of Christ who are our friends. I mean, I count among friends. But whenever we're converted, it does bring a different relationship. They look upon us as a bit odd. Perhaps we have to withdraw or stand aside from some of their activities and we are not really loved that much for it. We may not even fall out with them, but there's just a new tension, new difficulty. It's a new relationship. And again, that is something will probably be more noticeable for a person converted out of the world. Imagine a person so full of himself and his arrogance, self-importance, bragging about his own abilities, the, the lad among his mates, the one who is the heavy drinker, and all of those other things, and he comes to know Jesus as Lord. And what does he have to say to those friends? Well, I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, I can't talk like that anymore. I'm going to church. On that day that he might have spent in other times living it up or going to do something else. How do you think his friends will feel? Well, they're not going to be very pleased. They may not be openly hostile, but it's certainly a great change in relationship. Danger comes. Because they will want to draw him back. They will want to trip the new believer up. They will want to crush his faith if they can. They may not try to put him to death. But they'll certainly want to try to destroy what he speaks of. And even for those of us who are brought up in the church who come to faith. There will be those with their snide remarks who don't understand this conversion who will try and stop us from being faithful to God. There is danger from those who were formerly our friends in the world. The people we went along with, the people we did business with quite happily, never thinking of God. They don't like it because your life will suddenly show up their emptiness and lostness. Danger from friends. If you're in that situation, pray to God for strength. Pray to God that you will escape as Saul escaped and pray for an ability to continue a friendship of some sort that you might speak to them and declare Jesus. Then fifthly, there is depending 
on old enemies. Here's the very opposite thing. Isn't it absolutely incredible that now Saul, in danger from the Jews, has to depend on who? The Christians. We find that uh, as he fellowships among them, they have to lure him in a basket and he escapes away from Damascus and he goes to Jerusalem and what happens there? The believers are all, oh, don't want to know him. Until Barnabas comes and Barnabas does as Barnabas did, as son of encouragement. This is Saul. Yes, but he preaches the word. He is Christ's man now. And Barnabas had to introduce him to his old enemies so that he could be a new friend to them. And he depended upon these friends for fellowship and for encouragement, though they once had been his enemies. Consequence of conversion is that some people have to begin to depend on others who before they would not have wanted to depend on. In fact, I say this for all of us as Christian people. We have to be a dependent people. We are dependent first and foremost on Jesus Christ as our Lord. But we are also dependent on the body of Christ, which is the church. We need each other. We need the help of one another. And even those people who before we might have not had much to do with, because they were Christians and we weren't, we need to depend upon their sustaining, their encouragement and their help that Christ will be honored. We are part of the body and the body depends one on another just as the leg depends on the the hip and the back and so on. So we are to depend as Christ's body on one another. It's a consequence of our conversion. We're part of a body. We're not outside of it. We're not out there as an individual on our own. And so Saul learned to depend upon those whom once he had tried to destroy. And then lastly, there's a dwelling at peace. It's an amazing thing that Saul escapes Jerusalem, goes back to Tarsus, and then we read at the end of that little section that there is peace. The church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And it was strengthened. Why? Because the enemy had been destroyed. Saul had become part of the church. And the church knew peace. But in fact, Saul knew a deeper peace. Saul knew a peace with God. Saul Saul knew a peace in his heart that he never had before. He knew the Messiah. He knew Jesus as Lord and he knew that heaven was his home. And he knew that he was at peace with his Lord and Master. And that's simply a reflection of the peace that the church would have here on earth because he was no longer destroying the church for a time. There was peace. And friends, the consequence of conversion for you and me is that there is peace with God. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. And there should be peace in the church among ourselves as God's people. We may not be at peace with the world around us because they will try to destroy us. We are not at war with them. 
We might say they're more at war with us. But our peace is with God. We delight in that. For some of us, we're living in an age when converted to Christ means greater hostility from the world. But our peace is not with the world. Our peace is with God. And what a joy that is. Whatever the world might throw us, whatever conflicts come as we serve Jesus Christ, we're at peace. Knowing Christ and serving Him because we've been brought by God's favor to love Him, to honor Him, and to glorify Him. Have you been converted? Are the consequences of this conversion working out in your life, delighting in fellowship, declaring Jesus, deepening on your convictions, finding danger from those who before were your friends, having to depend upon those before were your enemies, the people of God? And are you at peace with the Lord?